As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed, when I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform, with over 350 million global monthly visitors according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. Hi everyone, I'm Deb Flaschenberg. Welcome to Yoga Birth Babies, a podcast produced by Prenatal Yoga Center. We will be diving into everything prenatal yoga, birth, and baby related, hoping to inspire, educate, and empower you through your journey into motherhood. Thank you for listening. Hi, I'm Deb Blaschenberg. I'm your host for Yoga Birth Babies. And today we're going to do a re-release, or I'm also calling it a renew episode with one of my favorite speakers, Penny Simpkin. She is a physical therapist, a childbirth educator, a doula, a birth counselor. She's a nationally recognized authority on childbirth, and she's helped over 14,000 expectant parents and birthing people. And you'll listen into the conversation. I'm like a giddy schoolgirl. I was so thrilled to speak with Penny. She is gracious and kind and so offering in all of her information. And the topic that we covered was pain and suffering and trauma and labor. And it's deep and she's just so knowledgeable and giving and soft in the way she delivers this information because it's challenging when someone's had a hard labor. And she talks about the difference between pain and suffering. And it's truly one of my favorite episodes, which is why we're releasing it. So enjoy. But before we get to that, again, just another shout out that I just came back from the Charlotte North Carolina yoga teacher training. And it was an amazing group of women that we worked with. So hey to all of you guys out there. Hope you're listening. And we have an upcoming training in Richmond, Virginia in a couple months. There's still a few spots left. And then we have our spring training in New York City. So it's an 85-hour Yoga Alliance teacher training. And I'm so proud of the work that we do in there. And it's inspiring for many. And it's based on the PYC methodology. It's about asana and functional movement to help support a functional birth and childbirth education and community. Now best to prepare the body for whatever sort of labor unfolds, the mind, the body, the spirit. So if that resonates with you, please check out the full teacher training information at prenatalyogacenter.com. All right, let's hear from Penny. As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed, when I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform, with over 350 million global monthly visitors according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. 
Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. Thank you for taking the time to speak with me today. It is really such an honor because I've read your books, your articles. You're kind of like the John Lennon to me of, of, <laughs> of the birth workers. And to have the opportunity to speak with you and to share your wisdom with my community, it's, it's, I'm so, it's truly touching and honoring and it's just so great to talk to you. So I thought we would talk about one of the topics you're quite versed on, um, pain, suffering, and trauma in labor. Um, is there anything you want to jump in before I start with my questions? Well, I just thank you for that nice introduction <laughs> and, uh, hope I can live up to your height there. <laughs> I think you can. So, um, if we can jump right into discussing the difference between pain and suffering. Yeah, that's, it's a very important distinction. And, you know, I think if we went to a, an ordinary dictionary, we would look up pain and a synonym would be suffering. And if we look up suffering, a synonym would be pain. But there's more to it than that. And in the psychology literature, uh, they've made quite a differentiation. And that's and it's very important to us in the birth world to, dis- to distinguish those. So pain is basically it's an unpleasant or very unpleasant sensory or emotional experience that is associated with tissue damage, either actual tissue damage or potential. Um, so it's, it's physical. Uh, That's the most important part of it. And um, our understanding of what makes pain, uh, you know, manageable for some people and not for others is a a huge topic. Then when we look at suffering, suffering is an emotional reaction. And it includes uh, any of these things, like um, a a perceived threat to her body, a feeling that her body is going to be harmed, Um, helplessness. Uh, loss of control, um, distress, uh, and inability to cope with the situation, the distressing situation, and uh, could be that a fear of death of uh, the mother herself or her baby uh, would be a part of it. So these are all emotional uh, responses. Now, it's really important that we, uh, well, I'll, I'll say this, that suffering by this definition is very much like the, the definition of trauma, mm-hmm. which we'll be talking about. But what I'd like people to understand, and I'm sure as soon as I say it, they're going to, is that we can suffer without having any pain at all. Right. Uh, for example, grief, uh, being jilted by a lover, um, having uh, lots of feelings of foreboding or uh, that have nothing to do with physical pain. Um, so we, we can have... Uh, we can have uh, suffering but we can also have pain without suffering and that's the place where i think it's very important in childbirth to recognize the difference that uh, some people can have considerable pain but they're not suffering they don't worry about it they accept it they work with it and they're not distressed by it and for others it's just the opposite the pain is a trigger of many emotional uh concerns as well so those are the, that's how i would define the differences 
I think that's important to know because I think um, people often think of childbirth and they don't see that they can be separated. You can have pain without suffering and suffering without pain. So, mm-hmm. And I think a lot of people, when they think about birth trauma, they'll think injury to the baby. But I know a lot of us are in the birth world are starting to talk about birth trauma as it relates to the mom. Can you describe your definition of birth trauma and what can lead to a woman experiencing birth trauma? Well, of course, the, the physical the physical trauma could be a part of it. Um, a uh, uh, d- damage to the vaginal outlet, for example, mm-hmm. or um, uh, 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 excessive bleeding during birth. I mean, some of the things that we know can happen uh, would certainly qualify as physical trauma. But more more common, probably in most industrialized countries, where uh, the the uh, birth process is quite a safe one in terms of damage, is, is emotional distress and trauma. And this um, uh, being treated badly, um, disrespectfully or unkindly, um, being forced or pushed into accepting uh, treatments or, or care uh, practices that the person does not want. Um, uh, some women bring a fair amount of previous trauma into their births. Um, many have had uh, abusive situations in their past, uh, sexual abuse, um, other you know experiences with hospitals that have been less than ideal, uh, and so <clears throat> there may be a, a kind of a, a a bit of a, a fertile field for trauma. It might be easier for some people to be re-traumatized if they've experienced trauma that never was resolved. So we have to be very concerned about the emotional responses of, of the woman, the mother, and her partner uh, as, uh, as the, they go through the labor process. Okay, that makes sense. Yeah, there seems to be more understanding and support being offered to those who suffer from postpartum depression or post-traumatic stress disorder. But I think a majority of the people don't see a connection between the birth experience and the aftermath. Um, can you continue to mm. expand on that? Well, I, I hope so. <clears throat> the, uh, there is quite a there is quite a uh, distinction between post uh, postpartum depression and other postpartum mood disorders like anxiety, and mm-hmm. uh, there are many others, uh, and uh, post traumatic stress disorder. And unfortunately, it hasn't been until very recently, really relatively recently, that we've even recognized PTSD after childbirth mm-hmm. as a as a reality. And so when women have been distressed or unhappy after childbirth, they're treated as if they have depression. And many of the treatments for postpartum depression just worsen the, uh, the PTSD, if, if that's what it really is. So it's important to be, for someone who's knowledgeable, to be able to recognize that, uh, which one, what this woman is truly suffering from. Uh, now, what was another part of your question? I forgot. Oh, uh, just um, the connection between the birth experience and the yeah. aftermath. But I do want to ask a quick question what you just said about the postpartum depression treatment and that of post-traumatic stress disorder. Um, that seems interesting to me that they'd be two different things. What would the difference be? Well, for example, uh, a person who is depressed is often, uh, you know, for, for some of her um, healing, uh, she's kind of put on a regime, you know, you must get out every day. You must uh, uh, seek out companionship, uh, get exercise, uh, this kind of thing. Mm-hmm. And uh, for the for the woman who has PTSD, she may have a real um, uh, 
uh, being with other people may actually trigger her. You know, if, if they know, if, if uh, well, just for example, if, if people know that she had a hard time with her birth, that um, that she um, maybe had um, uh, a cesarean that was an emergency, and it, she was terrified, and and uh, people know that, and. If she tries to talk to them about it, they may uh, react by saying, oh, look, you've got a healthy baby. You know, why are you worrying about this? You shouldn't be uh, thinking about that part of it. Think about how lucky you are. And can can you see how that alienates her further from all these people Mm -hmm. and and I think deepens her feelings of PTSD? Yes, that's one of the things I hear a lot from my students is they'll kind of shrug their shoulders and look really kind of beaten up and be like, well... I have a happy baby, and then their their feelings. I guess I feel like they're being invalidated from their community. Like it's all about the baby when it's not, you know. So that really does happen mm-hmm. so much. Well, and it I, happens a lot. It happens by by you know her best friends, her family, mm-hmm. her parents, uh, her her caregiver, mm-hmm. um, and and often you know many women will go through, and no one will validate the fact that how this baby was born was very traumatic for her mm-hmm. and, uh, you know, g- give her some, some TLC for that. <clears throat> yeah. That's the disconnect. I see that the birth experience, the, a lot of people don't ex- think, okay, the birth experience happened and now the mom has post-traumatic stress disorder and the connection that they don't see the birth experience has an aftermath. Yeah. Yeah. And you know, I, I can add to that if we yes. have time, yes, but, absolutely. uh, for some women, uh, let's say they've had a very traumatic birth. Maybe they were uh, treated disrespectfully. Uh, maybe someone uh, criticized you're breathing too fast, or if you make that much noise, you're going to bother the whole floor. Uh, you know, very thoughtless, cruel comments and that hurt her and make her think, I'm doing this wrong. Everything I do is bad. And so she comes out and her baby is healthy and, uh, and whole. And she uh, really pulls herself together and puts everything into the care of this baby. And so her feelings of trauma get pushed pushed to the back. Uh, She doesn't acknowledge them. She doesn't let herself feel them. And then after a couple of months, or maybe even further down the line, those feelings start to emerge. And she starts remembering, and even and even late, you know, later, maybe a few months later, she starts having flashbacks to the horrible treatment or uh, the memories that she had at the time. And so we call that delayed onset of PTSD. But sometimes the positives of having that baby uh, postpone Mm -hmm. her recognition of the trauma. Can it even be where she doesn't realize it until she's pregnant again? Yes. And, you know, I see this all the time. I hate to say I do some counseling and I have to emphasize it's lowercase c. It is not capital C counseling. (laughs) Uh, But I'm a pretty good listener. And uh, for many people that don't have severe post-traumatic stress disorder, I think I can be quite helpful. But it is interesting that some people, uh, well, I'm going to tell you an example. This is a woman I worked with who um, she had been in my childbirth class and she, with her first baby, she was a La Leche League leader. And very, very into mothering, etc. With her first baby, it was a very difficult birth. And um, they did a forceps attempt, and it didn't work, so they did a cesarean. And the baby fussed constantly afterwards, and she was having difficulty breastfeeding. And as a Laleche League leader, this was even harder for her than it might have been for another person. Well, finally, when the baby was four months old, 
they diagnosed that he had a fractured skull from the from the forceps delivery. Oh, yeah. <clears throat> and so she she kind of dealt with that. And um, but but um, I told her at that time because I was kind of following her. Uh, she thought she was over it, quote. And I said, you know, if you ever want to talk about this some more, I'm always interested. And, you know, five and a half years later, she called me because she was pregnant again. And she realized these feelings are coming up again. I'm dreading the birth. And she had to deal with it and come up with some ways to make sure the same thing would not happen again. Mm-hmm. And so we strategized that. And it, the the strategy that we came up with was no instrumental delivery, and a cesarean would be better than, uh, you know, than pushing for a long time. Mm-hmm. She put some limits around it, and as it turned out, she her uh, her pelvis was quite small at the outlet, and so a very similar kind of labor pattern. Uh, I was with her this time, <clears throat> and uh, this, a similar labor pattern, and the doctor kind of forgot the plan and said, I think we can get out the vacuum and we can get this baby. And the the woman said, absolutely not. And I encouraged her. I couldn't say it myself. But uh, I said, remember our plan. And uh, she did. And the doctor then remembered. And she went straight for the cesarean. And it, for her, it was the absolute best thing to do. I she could not relive that horror again. You know, I had a similar... Um my first birth is very long and the postpartum of healing from such long pushing with my pelvic floor was really hard and a lot of PT. And when I got pregnant with my second, I had to really sit with my midwife and talk about like, I can't do that again. What is the plan? And we really, we came up with something similar about what I could tolerate and what would be best for me and my body. So I can relate to the woman's strategy and the need for something different. Yeah. That's a very big thing. I want it to be different from last time. Yeah. And, uh, and it usually is. So there's good news there. Yes, <laughs> that's true. How common is post-traumatic stress disorder in new moms? Well, you know, uh, we, we don't have, um, uh, you know, national figures for all 4 million people that give birth, how many have PTSD. But there have been several surveys and reports, and this is a, a worldwide problem. The industrialized world has reported this many times, and we find that between about one in four and one in three women report that their births were traumatic. And this is, I mean, think about that. That's huge. We have four million births a year in the United States, and a million if it's one in four, a million people would have births that they perceive as traumatic. And it's their perception that is the reality. Right. It isn't what the doctor thought or what her mother thought. It's what she feels. So about, uh, you know, let's say one in four to be on the conservative side. But then uh, a, a portion of them will go on and develop the full-blown post-traumatic stress disorder, all the symptoms, where uh, most of them won't. Uh, about three out of four of those will have what is called post-traumatic stress symptoms, but not the whole, um, the whole, um, oh, what's the word, um, um, not disorder, anyway. Mm-hmm. Um, I can't remember what, what the word is I'm groping for. <clears throat> but with that high an incidence, you know, that's, that's higher than 
most other disorders that uh, psychological or physical that happen after birth and yet we've kind of swept it under the rug and we're not aware of it so uh this is an area and i'm really glad you're doing this podcast because we need to get the word out uh, you know on this because there's so much hope as humans we're naturally driven by the search for better but when it comes to hiring the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all don't search match with indeed when i was looking to hire someone it was so slow and overwhelming i wish i had used indeed if you need to hire you need indeed indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors according to indeed data and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed, when I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform, with over 350 million global monthly visitors according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. Yeah, I read a study, it was part of an article about that some women can experience post-traumatic stress disorder to the same level as people that were down um, at at the World Trade Center during 9-11. Like, it was that traumatic of an experience, that birth was that traumatic. It seems um, insane, I guess is the word, that a terrorist attack could equate birth. It makes me sad that that's what women are experiencing. And I'm hoping we can help women. We'll get to some of those questions later about how we can support women to not have a traumatic birth. Yeah. Yeah. Well, we'll get to that. I did want to say one, one good thing. And you know, the other, the other analogy there is that these women, uh, this is the same thing that our soldiers are coming back from the Middle East with, mm-hmm. you know, is PTSD. And we have some 35,000 or I mess off the top of my head, but a large number of veterans with PTSD. But compare that to the about the around 350,000 women a year who get full-blown post-traumatic stress disorder yeah. after childbirth. But the good news there is that the the treatments for PTSD that are being developed for our veterans work with the women who have had traumatic births as well. So do you think these these symptoms are being more recognized then because the veterans are coming back with that, that people are like, oh, I see the similarity? Yeah, I I think it is. uh, Yeah. I mean, I hate to say that there's anything coming good, you know, any good coming out of those wars, but if it's, it's giving the veterans uh, some fair treatment and, uh, and, and that's spreading to others that have PTSD. 
How can a woman or her family recognize if she's suffering from post-traumatic stress disorder as opposed to just the baby blues or just the common feelings of being overwhelmed by new parenthood? Well, that, that, that that's a good question, and it, it may she may need some help with that. But generally speaking, the baby blues are temporary. They mm-hmm. last, you know, about a week. And... Um, but and then the, her, her her mood lifts, and often that's tied in with some of the hormonal adjustments, very early after birth, I think, and um, and and just the the fact that she's kind of sleep deprived, and then when things start to get a little bit organized, uh, usually people pass through that the, the blues. So, um, but the um, whether or not this is a persistent problem, um, I, I think you're right that in this country. Everyone's heard postpartum is hard. Mm-hmm. And so here it is hard. She is having nightmares and flashbacks. And she said, I didn't think it would be this hard. But she thinks this is what everybody's talking about. So she needs to know. And, and I think we could go over some of the symptoms that yes. a woman might have that. Uh, that, that would kind of tell her this is a lot more than something to just wait through. And but part of it would be how she looks back on the birth. You know, if, if she uh, is feeling that she got really rotten support or care, if there's anger and blame there, and she's very likely correct, but she might perceive it that way when others don't as well. She may um, uh, feel that it was all chaos. Looking back, I can't figure it out. She may be um, someone who finds that she's feeling like more like a babysitter than uh, a mother. And uh, I've had many people say, I, I, I was just going through the motions. I did everything I was supposed to do. I changed him, I fed him, I rocked him to sleep, but I didn't have any feelings uh, toward him that were loving and you know giving. And that's very troubling to many women to, to feel that way. Um, I've got stories rushing in my head, but I don't know why I should be telling him. Um, but then um, a, a, a sense of um, uh, that of isolation um my friends don't understand you know what we've already been talking about but um then things like nightmares flashbacks um a flashback is like a, a an awake nightmare you know but she might be washing the dishes or something and all of a sudden she's feeling like she's in that same same place uh, things that trigger her easily um, some people uh, can't drive by the hospital where they had, had the baby. They just have a <laughs> panic attack, uh-huh. you know, just the reminder of it. So they go blocks out of their way. Um, uh, so a lot of anxiety. Uh, and, you know, I think that uh, there is a um, uh, an assessment tool uh, called the Edinburgh Postpartum Depression Scale, and it's to measure depression. But it has been adapted uh, for something that could be done uh, for a, a person, a uh, self-help uh, device or self-assessment, where uh, it's just ten statements, and she sort of thinks for the past week, uh, I've been I've been happy and able to see the bright side of things. You know, yes, all the time, all the way to not at all, and I've been panicked for no good reason, or uh, I can't sleep. I've been crying. I'm so unhappy. You know, there's ten statements. And sometimes, and I have my students in my childbirth class use this, my doula clients, I give it to the doulas when I'm training doulas, uh, as a way to just have the woman think about these statements and realize, my gosh, I'm not myself. Mm -hmm. I'm not myself. I hadn't really put it together that way. And that's enough 
uh, and see as a, as a doula, the doula might be able to uh, say, well, you know, you're not yourself, and maybe it's time to seek some help for this. Uh, and uh, the partner the same. Uh, sometimes the partner is traumatized, and the partner goes through this and says, my gosh, I'm not myself. Mm-hmm. Oh, I'm sorry, my dog. Oh, that's a little oh. pug. Hi. <laughs> <laughs> oh. No worries. You, you want to, I can, I think I can get rid of her if you give me a minute. Sure, sure, sure. Oh, oh, Katie's going to take her. Yeah. Thank you. <laughs> so that's a portion you'll edit out, right? <laughs> I'll edit that out, but don't worry. Um, I can't remember what I was saying. So we're um, talking about, um, also to the questions that she can ask herself and the doula could recognize it and the partner can recognize he, yeah. he or she's not themselves either. Right. And, and, you know, the, the motto that we have, uh, this is one of my mottos, she has very good reason for feeling this way, behaving this way, believing these things, saying these things. And, and so, so we take her at face value. If she's unhappy, there's a good reason for it. It isn't that she's just spoiled or that she's expecting too much or, you know, things like that. And uh, so we take it from there. And then if there are understanding kind people in her world that will we'll accept at face value this friend of mine or this dear daughter of mine is not herself right now and I'm not going to abandon her and I'm not, not going to be telling her to buck up and, you know, get over it. Uh, I'm going to love her through this. And and then the idea would be to, she probably needs some professional help mm-hmm. of some kind. Uh, sometimes uh, there are groups uh, of mothers that get together and they find they're not alone. <clears throat> but often it is a private one-on-one thing. That can help. Yeah, and we do at my yoga studio, we do um, new mom support groups. But I think for what you're talking about, maybe even, you know, the one-on-one. But I also feel like mm-hmm. um, sometimes the moms want to put on such a front that, because I've talked to so many of my students, and please, if you have stories, please jump in with stories. I think that's great for people's minds. Mm-hmm. But mm-hmm. I've had many students just say after, it's just breaking down, like, they again. They didn't know how hard it would be. They thought it was just them. You know, they they think they should be able to. So they're telling themselves, "Pull yourself up by the the bootstraps." And mm-hmm. I don't think they're just trying to put on such a face that others may not necessarily see how much they're suffering, or they don't realize this is out of the ordinary. Like I had one mom yeah. years ago. She was a single mom by choice, and. She her baby's colicky, so not only was she doing this on her own, she had a colicky baby. She just one day broke down. She's just like, I just didn't know how hard this was going to be. Is it supposed to be this hard? And I said, you know, your baby really is. You know, it, 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 your baby's more colicky than most. And she didn't realize that. You know, crying all the time. So she mm-hmm. really had this breakdown, and she sought help. But she was she had a traumatic birth. She had a colicky baby. She was doing it on her own. So, but she was trying to put this face on to the outside world that everything was okay. Yeah. So yeah. I think that's sometimes a problem too. That is a problem. And you know, <clears throat> we often expect that the pediatrician or the baby's doctor is in the best position to assess the mother. Mm-hmm. And, and often, you know, there are lots of advice about, you know, three questions to ask to figure out whether she's depressed or not. But the thing that we often don't realize is that when she's going to take her baby into the doctor, she puts on her makeup, she dresses up, you know, nicely and she can get through that hour long period mm-hmm. before she breaks down mm-hmm. and so the the baby doctor whoever doesn't uh perceive they think gee she's doing great and uh so the the opportunity to intervene or to at least make an assessment passes because she has pulled herself together she doesn't want people to know 
that she's, quote, weak or unable to cope or whatever. So she puts on her best face. It doesn't last forever, but mm -hmm. she can do it long enough to get through a, a meeting or something like that. So how can we encourage women to take the face off and be seen? <laughs> well, that, that's a, <laughs> you know, I, I think one of the things is education. Um, and uh, if, if all they know is that it's a sign of weakness to be sad after the baby's born or that you should be guilty about that, if that's all they know, then uh, there's no hope. I mean, it, it, they're going to hide it and fight it as much as they can. But if they do uh, take childbirth classes or if they're in a yoga class where there's some time for discussion, mm -hmm. um, uh, sometimes just bringing up the fact that uh, sometimes postpartum is a bitch <laughs> and... Uh, and, you know, someone else can initiate it and and to say that uh, some people even have a, a mood disorder from it. And there's no disgrace in that. And in fact, it's much more important to recognize uh, if one has it, because there are lots of good things that can be done to, to hasten the recovery from it. So I think that knowing and th this is why, you know, to be honest, in my classes, I, I spend a lot of time talking about uh, unhappiness after childbirth is how I put it, because it can, you know, I'm not going to try to make a diagnosis, whether it's depression or PTSD or anxiety or something else. But by going over this ahead of time, and I will be honest, I had a, a very severe postpartum mood disorder after one of my children was born, and I share that. And uh, talked about how alone I was because, uh, you know, I'm an old lady and my babies are are old, <laughs> they are old now. And there was no, wait, people were arguing about whether postpartum depression even existed. Mm -hmm. But I was very alone and it was a very serious thing. And I'm so fortunate that it lifted. Uh, it lifted for me after some months of suffering. But uh, when I tell people that I've been through it and I know there's hope and that if they need some help to call me and I will, I can, I've, I've um, actually developed relationships with some of our best therapists and psychiatrists in the area. And if I make the call, they will see that person, even if they're booked. That's great. They'll find a way to patch, patch people together to get them some care right away. And I haven't had to use that very often, thankfully, because I'd probably get a reputation <laughs> if, I, if I did. But I just want people to know that getting on it, acknowledging it, is the best way to start the healing process. And uh, so I think that, you know, anyone who's listening uh, who has an opportunity to be sort of an authority figure with a, uh, a new mother um, should see that as part of her responsibility, not to make a diagnosis, but just mm -hmm. to recognize this person is not the person I knew before she had this baby and uh, to help her to see that and then help her to take some initiative to get some care. Absolutely. It's finding, get, helping them find support, not diagnosing and just taking the stigma away. And I yeah. remind moms, um, and I try not to scare them prenatally, but you know, that it's, it's a little rough. I remember my mom telling me this was, you know, about like a hundred years ago about my brother. Um, she didn't expect, he was colicky too. She just thought that she'd be, move, you know, putting a baby in a stroller and birds would be singing around her and it would be like lovely and happy. And she was so young then. And the other side of 
of the challenge of motherhood. She didn't feel prepared. No one told her. And so we try in the studio to be honest about setting yourself up for support and that there are times that are really hard. You know, I use some of the coping skills uh, that I used for labor postpartum, like reminders like this will pass. Just breathe. You'll be okay. Like I, I call it doulaing myself through postpartum. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. So I'm going to get back to some of my questions. So in one of your articles you wrote in a study that I published years ago on the long-term impact uh-huh. of a woman's birth experience, I uh-huh. found that the most influential element in a woman's satisfaction, high or low, with their birth experience 15 to 20 years later is how they remember being cared for by their clinical care provider. Can you talk a little bit more about the long-term impacts on a mom or any of your other findings from the study? Well, that study changed my life, I have to say. Wow. I'm glad Uh, I picked that quote. (laughs) Yeah, it was was really uh, just earth-shaking to me Um, because I I was thinking about leaving childbirth education. I had been teaching for about 20 years at that time. And... um, I was thinking, oh, gosh, you know, I'm getting old. I should be teaching menopause education. (laughs) Uh, And I also found that childbirth education was de-emphasizing childbirth and working more on parenting. It was like they'd given up on birth. And so thinking about leaving the field, I I thought, well, I'm going to find out. I'm going to contact some of the women that I had in my first classes and see if they even remember the birth. It does, you know, is there any importance to it at all? And maybe I shouldn't be teaching. And I was able to locate, uh, t- well, t- 24 women who had taken my classes in the first five years of my teaching career. That's between 1968 and 1973. Um, and uh, I had the birth stories they wrote right after their babies were born. And so I contacted them, and uh, all the people I found said yes when I asked if they would participate in my study. And it had been 15 to 20 years since they'd had their babies, and they all said yes. So that tells you something right there. Right. And so then I asked them to write the story as they remember it today and also to, uh, to uh, describe how, how much satisfaction they felt. As they look back on the birth, how satisfied do you feel, you know, from uh, the top most possible, most satisfaction possible to not at all. Mm -hmm. And, um, and I compared them, they they sent the story in and I compared the first one that they had written right after their babies were born with this one that they had written years later. And they were so consistent. They remembered, they remembered and they remembered details. They remembered what was said to them. And, uh, and uh, that really told me something. And then uh, I found that they could they could quote you know what the nurses and doctors said, and so then um, when I asked them about the satisfaction, I got ratings from the top rating which I had as number one down to seven, which was the was very poor satisfaction. And uh, in the themes that I went through, oh I, f- I forgot to tell you, I, I brought them in for an interview that was about an hour and a half long, where we went over all this. And I uh, got a lot of uh, more personal stories and recollections. And I came up with these themes. But what, what I found was that the women uh, who rated their satisfaction the highest possible were all, they all had great positive memories of how they were cared for by the doctors and nurses. We had no midwives even practicing in those, oh, wow. in those years. You know, it's ancient history. But they... They, they remembered uh, one, one woman had had a long, hard back labor, and she, you know, she was uh, really tired, exhausted, finally got to pushing. Her nurse's shift ended, but the nurse decided to stay. 
and saw her through the birth and then gave her a back rub afterwards. And this woman wept as she told me about that back rub. And she said, I don't think I'd ever had a back rub before. And she felt so loved and cared for. And the woman, the nurse had gone beyond, but she felt cherished. And, uh, and that, and so this birth that most people say that was kind of a rotten birth, she gave it the highest rating because of the way she was cared for. And there were there were a lot of stories like that, uh, some kind word that was said, or um, you know, uh, one woman uh, had really wanted a natural birth, as most of the people in my classes did back in those days, mm-hmm. and and her doctor had said you're an excellent candidate, and then it turned out that she had a malpositioned baby, and it went on and on, and she uh, felt like a a wimp because she said she wanted a caudal that was the precursor of the epidural and she felt like she was letting the doctor down because the doctor had said she was a great candidate for natural birth and she was saying what have I done you know I'm terrible I'm weak and he and he held her hand and looked at her and said birth is not supposed to be a nightmare and she felt validated and afterwards you know she appreciated that so much and realized you know that made it a great birth for her even though it wasn't as you know straightforward and the natural birth that she'd hoped for, it wasn't not having the natural birth. It was being cared for lovingly, respectfully. And and then I'll give you one other example yes. of a woman who felt horrible. In fact, this, this particular nurse, I think, took care of three of the people in my study. She worked in the same hospital, and uh, some of the ways they described her, I could tell it was the same person. But she hated laboring women, I swear. But she she would say things like, Stop that breathing right now. I won't have it. And she would send the fathers out of the room and then leave them and not, not let them back in. And um, had, you know, really, uh, really awful things to say. And uh, the way these three women described her, I knew it was the same one. But they, uh, they felt that they, were, um, that they were inadequate They felt that they had done a bad job in labor. They didn't like this particular nurse. They did blame her. But it also left them with a great feeling of dissatisfaction about the whole birth, even though some of them had a completely natural birth. But that didn't hold a candle to the way they were treated. And so, um, you know, so I I really feel that the way we, and this is why I got started with doula work, uh, because I realized we're not taking good enough care of women during labor. And um, and if, if having someone there who has that as her sole responsibility, this does not in any way diminish the role of the partner. But the partner doesn't have the confidence in the birth process and the, uh, the knowledge of what to do. I mean, we teach in class how to do things, but often they need some coaching and guidance in the, in the labor. Mm-hmm. But to have that doula right there, uh, even when bad things are happening, when uh, a woman has to have a forceps delivery or something like that, the doula can hold her, can say, our job right now is this. This is all that matters right now. And keep the woman focused, uh, keep her company, you know, uh, and continue taking care of her emotionally during these difficult times. Yeah, I remember reading one of your books, or maybe it was an article, and it really influenced me very early on on how I practiced supporting women as a doula, was stepping back and just saying, how is she going to remember this? And then I would think, yes. what, how can I help her have positive support, especially yes. when the births kind of spiraled out? I remember this one birth um, where not only did the did I feel traumatized, I know the partner did and the woman did, and I tried as hard as I could 
to remind her of what she did well and how proud I was of, you know, she stayed connected to her body. And, you know, it, that's something that you said that really stuck with me is how mm-hmm. is she going to remember this and how can I add to a positive memory? Because I truly yeah. believe that what we experience as birthing moms, we, whether we realize it or not, we're going to pass that birth history down to our children. And then that's going to influence part of their perception of birth. And so they're going to be carrying that with them. So whether they even gave birth or not, if they heard positive stories from their parents, they're going to have positive view. If they heard horrible stories from their mm-hmm. parents, that's already going to influence it. So, yeah. so yeah. that it is was, huge. It, and it, it was that study <clears throat> that led me to that, I call it the duel's motto, you know, <laughs> how will she remember this? Yeah. And, um, and, you know, we have to keep that in our minds all the time. How will she remember this? How will she remember that? And so when things are going south, uh, we know she's going to remember this forever, forever. Mm-hmm. And so we may be able to connect with her and say, this is a rough time right now. You're doing everything you can, and we must keep on with that, and I'm going to stay right here with you this whole time or yeah. something like that. Or planting little seeds. We can't, you know, after a, a, a birth that is very difficult we can't say that was great you were great you did such a great job and the woman says you don't get it you know yeah she may have suffered terribly so we have to listen carefully we have to let her talk about it and you know in in negative terms um we even have to sometimes be i hate to say it but we might be seen as part of the problem you know Mm -hmm. why did you leave at that time you know you shouldn't have left me at that time or uh something like that or Mm -hmm. what you said was so we just I think if we have that in in our minds all the time that she's going to remember forever and let's make it a good memory forever absolutely I remember I'm going to switch a little bit to not just the mom but also the dual and the partner because I do remember a birth that really very quickly did spiral out of control and the resident ended up performing an episiotomy on my client under the impression that the mom had an epidural, which she did not. So here she is cutting into a perineum that has full sensation. So you can imagine the scream. And that experience I know left the mom and her husband and myself very traumatized. Can you talk a little bit about the birth trauma for the support team, the doula and the partner? When they're, we call that secondary traumatic stress disorder. Yeah. So someone who is trying to help someone or assisting someone who's having trauma, whether it's a birth or not, uh, can often be traumatized with very similar symptoms as the person who actually experienced it. And um, yeah, and you know, I I, uh, I I thought you might want to talk about this, and I I found a couple of quotes online that um, about partners that. I think our, uh, we, we need to be a little more um, gracious toward partners, I think. But one man uh, on a blog post that I saw said, What about the person who's forced to watch, feeling powerless to help the ones he loves? In some ways, I wonder if being a captive bystander is more painful than experiencing the abuse. And I can picture the partner with her, you know, hearing her uh, screaming. Um, it would uh, you know that's a terrible thing for him um, and for you, of course. Um, another guy said you cope by breaking down in private because you see, in the relationship between the two, um, if the partner's been traumatized, he can't burden his love beloved with 
with that and say, this was so hard for me. And, you know, he knows he can't do that. And so he holds it in and tries to be sympathetic to her. But all the time he's reliving it from his own point of view, which was horrible. And so, and, you know, this is kind of a grim podcast, isn't it? <laughs> right now. Uh, but uh, I hope it's okay. Um, but but I, uh, these, the, the father, the partner, the loved one needs um, a place to go where he or she can receive some solace and, and uh, some, some healing. Um, and this is one of the problems that has been seen that because they are going through their own experiences, not in parallel, but, you know, differently, uh, sometimes they, uh, the, the one may begin to bl- blame the man and the man may, or the partner, partner may blame her. Uh, you know, you should have had that epidural when I wanted you to, you know, something like that. Right. So uh, often the relationship is under terrific strain. And I think help is needed for that. Yeah, I I completely agree. I know this particular couple, they did, they had a lot of work they had to do after emotional for themselves and then Mm -hmm. had to come back together as a, as a couple. As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. When I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. What can women do to best help prepare for the birth, especially if she does have a history of trauma or abuse or just a lot of fear surrounding her childbirth? Well, the um, first of all, I think uh, I'm a little depressed about the state of childbirth education right now. But I, I think in good childbirth education, there would be some discussion of fear of childbirth. We don't have to get into all the details, but for some, there's a lot of anxiety around some aspects of it. And, um, you know, sometimes when we talk, I teach perineal massage, for example, in my class. And I know that some people who have had uh, sexual abuse are going to say, you've got to be kidding. You know, I'm not doing that. And so I I couch it. And, you know, if this just grosses you out or you don't want to do it, the baby's going to come out anyway. So I don't want you to feel you must, you know. But I I do recommend it. And and talking about a birth plan, if they know there are certain things they're afraid of, it would be helpful to put it in a birth plan, a little bit of a statement to the staff. You know, I have had a horrible experience in the the hospital in the past or took us – we, we had three miscarriages before we had this baby, and I, I still worry about whether this baby's going to make it. Or I have had trauma, sexual trauma, and I can't stand vaginal exams. I hope you understand. You know, if they can put some something uh, like that, uh, I don't say they must, but if they feel comfortable doing it, it will help the staff to understand them better. And I think to modify their care um, in a more positive way for that particular person. Mm-hmm. So that would be one thing. And then uh, uh, there, there are a few people around the country who uh, do specialize in 
uh, uh, doulas and childbirth educators who do counseling, and I'll, I'll call it lowercase c because we don't want to uh, be illegal about this, right. <clears throat> but but to offer some private time. Let's talk about it. Let's sit down and talk about it. And can we come up with any strategies? So if, uh, for example, um, if she has had, maybe she had a prior loss. Uh, maybe her last baby was stillborn, and she is carrying that into this pregnancy, scared to death. Um, and someone should be acknowledging that. And um, so if she can talk about the fears that she has, it would be easy to say, oh, that couldn't possibly happen again. Don't worry about it, because it never happens twice. You know, that kind of false reassurance is not what she needs. She needs someone who says, well, I know this must be really hard for you. And it's hard to feel joy about the upcoming birth when you have the memory of that and to normalize it and to uh, reflect it. And then she feels heard, she feels understood, and she's more likely to be able to say, yeah, but I'm going to make this one different. This is different. This is my different baby. Um, it's, you know, uh, so I, I think having someone who accepts her feelings where she is as normal for the situation she's in and just listens and reflects and then when she's ready, I wonder if we could have the doctor do an extra ultrasound if you, you know, if you're worrying about whether your baby's okay or uh, how do we talk to the doctor or you talk to the doctor about this and that um, so that she feels that she has some uh, justification mm-hmm. for feeling the, the feelings that she has as being maybe different from the, what did you say, the birds flying around and chirping around your head when you have a new baby. Yeah, um, yeah that that kind of thing. So. Uh, we, I think all of us can be good listeners. Yes. Yeah, I think that's actually something many people, myself included, need to continue to work on. Um, are there telltale signs that a woman has crossed over from pain and coping with labor contractions now and to the suffering during her birth? Yeah, I think there are. And, I mean, I think we think of the obvious, the screaming, writhing, that kind of thing. But, um, uh, but you know, well... I have to speak from my personal experience. One of the things that I teach, and it's just almost the core of coping, is rhythm. Mm-hmm. And I, I uh, and I've, I learned this not from the books and not from any of the great childbirth educators. I learned it from the women that I was taking care of, uh, supposedly uh, being their care provider. They were teaching me more than I was teaching them. But I, I've discovered that when women are coping well, th- there is a rhythm to what they're doing. They're their sounds, their movements, their breathing. Uh, what you know, they might be pounding their partner on a on the shoulder, but if they're doing it in rhythm, it, it's a sign that they're coping. If they lose their rhythm, this is a sign that she has crossed over, and she really we do, we don't just let it go, and we help her to come back. You know, we, we say, right now, I want you to stay with me, and I'm going to take charge for a few moments, get you back into that rhythm, and you see if we've been there. We know her rhythm. We've been in her rhythm. We can give it back. But but she may get to a point where fatigue, discouragement, uh, you know, just tilt her over. And so then she needs she needs a lot of help to get back in balance on that. If she doesn't, it's going to be trauma. Right. It's going to be trauma. So that's 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 one thing. And then also when we just see the situation, if we are in a hospital where there, it's all strangers. Many of our many of our uh, population uh, have never met the person who is taking care of them during labor, the, the nurse or the doctor. Um, and if we can see that there's a lack of uh, kindness or respect, we should know that this could be this could be wounding the woman right now, 
you know, this could be taking her into trauma right now. And uh, as a doula, being present, it's really hard. I'd like to take the guy in the corner and say, be nice to this woman. But, uh, you know, I can't. So we, we try to make up for it. We hold her. We say, don't listen to that. You know, we, we do this kind of thing um, to try to keep her in the present and to hold on to her self-respect and her self-esteem uh, during this difficult time. But we can usually tell that she's crossed the line. Uh, uh, Susan Ayers is one of the great British uh, people in this field of birth trauma, mm-hmm. and she uses the term mental defeat. And I, I didn't know what that meant when I read about it, and, but I now know that when a woman has been trying and trying and trying, and uh, she's not getting, you know, no progress, and she keeps doing what isn't working, I'm walking, I'm breathing, I'm trying this, I'm trying that, and people are giving her IVs with Pitocin, and then she needs her bag of waters broken, and then she has an epidural, and, uh, and then she's supposed to push her baby out with the epidural, and she just can't. And uh, this breaks my heart. I haven't seen it very often, but I remember one woman who said, I'm done, just cut it out of me. And I can get tears when I think of that moment when she just thought, it's hopeless, there's nothing I can do. And um, that woman, she is in the midst of deep trauma right then. And she's she's going to have to pay for it. She's, oh, she's going to be paying the price. And sometimes there's nothing we can do. The uh, one woman, though, that does come to mind, and I, I've made a film about her. I call the film From Trauma to Triumph. But I was with her during labor, and she did this. Uh, she had been so well prepared and so highly motivated. And one thing after another after another was thrown up as a, as a barrier. And she finally did say exactly what I said. Just cut it out of me. Mm-hmm. And I... Um, and I'd known her well because I'd been working with her, and I, uh, I just thought we can't have this. Uh, and I, I kind of pleaded with her, and I, I call her Jane. I said, Jane, we need you. And I said it in this kind of desperate tone, and, um, and you know what? She pulled herself together. Uh, and she told me later. I thought, well, Penny's been here all this time. My husband's been with me for two days. And I can't let them down. And somewhere, somewhere in her, she found it to to give a couple of good gut-busting pushes. Got that baby out with a hand up by her face and nine oh. pounds and all this stuff. But um, but that moment was a, a desperate moment for me. And uh, but I think it made it made this a, a triumph and not a traumatic birth. Um, so uh, and I, I wish I could say that I could do that with everybody, but. Um, but mental defeat is a symptom when she just gives up right to her core um we know we're going to have to be picking up the pieces later well that's so helpful for i think birth support whether it be a a doula or the partner or the care provider just to see that and then realize that okay we're we're going to help her after or during just to have that sense. I like what you said about the losing the rhythm. That's, that's very yeah. obvious and easy to, easy to see. Yeah. It, it's a warning sign. <laughs> yeah. It's a great warning sign. Um, just a little bit more time and then I have to jump off to go pick my son up at camp. But can oh. you, <laughs> if you ah. can give, I know life of a life of a busy mom, if you <laughs> can just give some idea of how, if a mom did suffer, whether, um, 
it was like deep traumatic or just feeling shamed or whatever it was, if she did suffer and there is kind of that residue on her after, what can we, what can you advise for her to do to, to help see the other side and to help move through her motherhood? Well, well, I'll try to be this very quick on this, but number one, um, accept her interpretation as the real one. So we don't, you know, when she said, I couldn't do it, you don't say, well, you did it. You know, you, you don't deny her reality. You felt like you couldn't do it. So I, I have people um, sometimes write the story mm-hmm. uh, and uh, and with, you know, any anger, anything, just write it in there uh, or paint it. I've had a lot of people that have painted their traumatic births, people that don't paint, and they they love it. I've been amazed. Uh, writing a letter to the staff, and the first version is one where you let it all hang out and you tell them how much you hate them, you swear, you cry, you don't finish your sentences, you spell everything wrong, and then maybe it can be crafted into something that would actually do some good, uh, helping the staff understand that their behavior you know, made you feel this way. So constructive steps that will um, uh, justify uh, uh, her, her own experience as, as being real and valuable, validated. That's the word I'm trying to get get to. Uh, and then to, uh, to at some point, what? How do you wish it had gone? Could you paint how you wished it had gone, or can you write how you did? Or can we talk about it? Uh, and sometimes just you know, kind of looking at it very very closely, um, she can see where things start to go south. She can see. Uh, where some of the things that she did were not what she did, it was what other people did, and that demoralized her. And sometimes it gives her a better picture. If she continues to have symptoms, uh, it would be a good idea for her to see a trauma therapist. We don't just go to any old therapist, but someone who specializes in trauma is the person she ought to see. Okay, these are great. These are really great tips and important tips so that, again, the woman doesn't feel by herself and that she knows she right. can get through this this patch of her life. Yeah. So I'm going to start to wrap things up, but I want people to know where they can find you and your information because you've got so much of it. So where's the best way <laughs> for someone to, what's the best way for someone to find you? Well, my website would be the best and, uh, uh, it's penny, uh, excuse me, pennysimkin.com. Um, and uh, they can they could write it in info at pennysimkin.com if they wish. I also have a Facebook page. Um, it's not, I, I don't even know quite what it is, but <laughs> I'm, I'm not really on Facebook, but I have a Facebook page that okay. has a lot of friends, and I put stuff out there from Wonderful. time to time. And, of course, all your books, which I encourage any mom that, and partner, especially the partner the book, uh, the birth partner book, moms, partners, read Penny's stuff, um, doulas, every conference if she's in that you can get to, go there. <laughs> there <laughs> Thank speak. you. Oh, absolutely. I really take your word for it with so much weight because you've been doing this for so long and you have such um, reverence for birth and supporting women that it was, you know, I want women to hear this. So I wanted to thank you so much for giving me yeah. this time and for sharing your knowledge and and just, you know, giving what you do to the birth community. Well, thank you. I appreciate the opportunity. All right. Oh, Penny, I'll let you know this comes out. And for those that are listening, thank you so much for tuning in today. And if you don't mind heading over to iTunes or Stitcher and rating and reviewing us, I'd appreciate that. All right. Well, everyone, I'm signing off. I'm going to go run down the street and grab my son from camp. Hope everyone has a great day. Thanks, Penny. (laughs) Yeah, bye-bye, Dad. Hang up. Bye.
This has been an episode of Yoga Birth Babies, produced by Prenatal Yoga Center. You can catch us on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and Periscope. I'm Deb Flaschenberg. Thanks for listening. As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed, when I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com podcast. That's Indeed.com podcast. Terms and conditions apply.